Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Samuel Adams Returns, uh, and this is Tom DeVolish, your host, and I am delighted to have once again as my guest is uh, Pastor Matt Truella. Matt, welcome. Hey, good to be here with you, Tom. Yeah, thank you. We're going to touch on a topic that I am seeing a lot going on out there uh, across certain groups. I know at, at the, our home church, realistically, even though we live in Northeast Ohio now, is Christ Church up there in Idaho. And I've seen what uh, uh, Doug has been doing. I'm talking about men and trying to really set that framework, uh, you know, from uh his perspective, as well as I've seen other pastors out there, and, and then another good friend of mine down in uh, Lima, Ohio, he's the same thing. And so we're hearing this, but you really caught my attention when you put up your short uh, movie, which is going to be attached to this program, uh, on Where Are the Men? Yeah. And uh, just before we get started into that detail, I'd like to read something just really quick uh, and this is from none other than Sir William Blackstone, as he's talking about the law. What is the law? Where does the law come from? But as a frame of reference, I wanted to bring this out. Uh, he goes on to say, man, considered as a creature, and he prefaces creation and the God of creation before he even gets to this part, and the law uh, has to be for every creature based on creation. So he continues with this, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator, for he is entirely a dependent being. That's us, mankind. Yeah. A being independent of any other has no rule to pursue, but such as he prescribes to himself. But a state of dependence will inevitably oblige the inferior to take the will of him on whom he depends as the rule of his conduct, not indeed in every particular, but in all those points wherein his dependence consists. This principle, therefore, has more or less extent and effect in proportion as the superiority of the one and the dependence of the other is greater or less. Absolute or limited. And consequently, a man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything. It is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. Hmm. Did you ever hear that before, Matt? I did, actually, yes. You're up on Blackstone. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, here's a lawyer, um, a jurist, and he has better theology shown for him than most ministers or pastors do in our day today. It shows you how far we've fallen as um, Western civilization has departed from Christianity. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, just based on that framework, and, and I recall now from our other conversation that you do have that in-depth background in our history and, and uh, all that framework. So with that, you know, that, is, that poses the question, because what we're seeing in our society today is that men have become dependent and inferior. And what we're seeing also, uh, I just read an article that uh, they're trying to revive the Equal Rights Amendment because Roe has been thrown out. Mm -hmm. And so with that frame of reference, you asked that poignant question, where are the men? And, yeah. and, 
and you you did the whole sermon prior to COVID. What stimulated you in uh, your study of Acts to ask that question and then produce that you know four or five minute video now that's so relevant? Yeah, well, what induced me to do it is what I've seen with um, the state of men in America, the state of men in American Christianity. And when you look at the book of Acts and the bravery, how they hazarded their lives to be faithful and true to Christ, you see so incredibly little of that amongst men in our day. And so while I was preaching in that chapter, um, I decided just to talk about the state of manhood briefly and um, call men uh, to account, you know, and to be faithful and true to Christ. I think it's extremely important um, for men to be men. And what we have in America today, you brought up the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment. Yep. Everything that they didn't get in the ERA, just about everything that they didn't get in the ERA 40 years ago, <laughs> when they were, was that 40 years ago when they were pushing yep. that at the national level, they've gotten it through the states. And got it down into state law. And mm -hmm. what people have to understand is that uh, the decimation of manhood in America has been done by design in our nation, mm -hmm. um, by the government officials, um, by the movers and shakers, the big wigs, the wealthy elites. Um, they moved women out of the home into the workplace, mm -hmm. all under the guise of freedom, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and equality. And I always note, like when I go up to my local grocery store, Piggly Wiggly, around five o'clock, all the women in their high heels running in to get the rotisserie chicken to run home with it. And I think to myself, yeah, there's freedom, you know, there's equality. They really wanted it done so that they could um, bring the state more heavily into the lives of families by removing mo mom from the home. Yeah. And they also wanted to increase the amount of taxes, <laughs> that the tax money by getting all the women into the workplace. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women have now seen what a bankruptcy it is. I mean, there's hardcore feminists who've written about this mm -hmm. and made it abundantly clear. We were sold a pile of goods, <laughs> you know, it was, a, it's, it's garbage. And so they get a hint of, you know, yeah, we've rebelled against the created order of God. And now we have a mess on our hands. We're over half of the children in America now aren't being raised up in the home of their biological father and mother. And it's having a huge, terrible effect on family at large. So it's all been done by design. Yeah. You know, they've belittled and besmirched and demeaned family and marriage for decades in this country, um, just follow it. You know, first mm -hmm. off, you saw the, um, you know, divorce for any reason or no reason at all, no fault divorce, right. late sixties, early seventies. And then what did you see? Legalized abortion, um, 1973. And then what did you see? Um, decriminalization of sodomy and then the legalization of homosexual marriage. All these things are meant, Tom, to demean, belittle, and um, devalue marriage and family in the minds of men. Yeah, I, I, yeah. With that, and then you know, we'll probably carry on more about it, and you know, a lot of the other work that you've been accomplishing. Yeah. I, I think the frustrating uh, aspect for me is then 
watching the, the church step away and actually support uh, the men being neutered. And, yeah. you know, I, I, you touch on that, and I know you're calling out, and it's a plea, but what changed from uh, Protestantism in the 50s, let's say, that then took and allowed for that to where was what was the buy-in what made it so attractive uh, to sure. buy into it well i think the foundation was um fractured long before 1950s and i know you agree with that too mm -hmm. um you know you look at chesterton he was talking about egalitarianism 100 years ago yeah and you know we've just continued down that road um so the church has bought wholesale into egalitarianism about gender egalitarianism, that there should be no differences between males and females, um, that they, you know, there isn't distinct roles and uh, this type of thing. And no wonder we have sodomy in our culture now. Once you diminish the roles of men and women, it's just a matter of time to you come to that absurdity and that perversion. Um, and another huge thing was the fact of birth control. Um, all of Christianity stood against birth control, whether it was Protestantism, Catholic, East uh, Orthodox, didn't matter. Right. All churchmen for over 1900 years, resolutely, all church bodies, all churchmen, birth control is wrong. And then we saw the first Christian body in the history of the world in 1932 over in England embrace birth control as being legitimate. It was just a couple of years later, the first Christian body in America embraces it. 30 years plus later, you had the American church supporting abortion. Right. Um, many of the Protestant churches supported abortion right. um, during, you know, the time when Roe v. Wade came about in 1973. Um, so once you diminish that, you know, those distinct roles that God's given a man and a woman mm -hmm. and try to blur those and diminish them and say that there should be no, there should be equality, there should be no differences. And then you take women and say, okay, you don't want to have kids. And men, of course, you don't want to have kids. And so we watch the, the rate of births just crash in this country. In the last six years now, we don't even replace ourselves. No. Last year, the average couple had 1.69 children. Demographers say you need 2.1 just to replace yourself per right. couple. Mm -hmm. And um, we are at one point. So we are committing familial suicide right now in America and Western civilization. I was going to say that's that's across even Europe. <laughs> yeah, it's worse in some of the European Way countries. Worse. Yeah, yes. One point two one, one point two four. And so, you know, the Muslims tried to, you know, trounce Christianity for centuries, could never do it. And now, simply because they're following the created order of God, whereas Christians and the Christian West has thrown off the created order of God regarding having children, they're going to be able to topple um, Western civilization at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really crazy how, so those are the two dynamics I want to stay on track yeah. here. Yeah. There's a million rabbits. Yeah, I know we could go off everywhere on it, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so saying on I, that focus, exactly. So I think egalitarianism and birth control were the fracture yeah. um, way back a hundred years ago. Yeah. And then by the time you got to the fifties that you brought up in the sixties, yeah, they were going whole hog into 
you know, wanting the women in the workplace. World War II, of course, you know, was used as a great big tool to get women into the workplace, make it more normative in the minds of people. And when you look at our domestic policy regarding marriage, like if you go to family court or probate court, they call it different things in different states. Um, when you look at the policy there, it is just rank feminist boilerplate rot made legislative law. It's designed to uh, neuter men. That's the term you used Mm -hmm. to demand men, to remove their manhood, take their responsibility away, feel like they're less than men, that they can't accomplish anything. And they've done a great job of it. And most men don't even want to get married now because they see what happens. They all know someone who's ended up in divorce court. And they see that it's skewed completely towards the woman, absolutely against the man. And why would they want to place themselves in that position? And there's a host of other reasons, by the way, why young men, I'm talking about 35 or less, don't want to get married today. Um, And it's all been done by design by our government. Yeah, and we're going to cover some of that in the second segment uh, as as we get into uh, more, because I think that that is a, a critical element. One thing I just want to bring up, and then uh, I'll give you, I'll jump in on the last 30 seconds. We're down to a minute and a half. But one of the things, I, I just that statistic, married men live longer. What yeah. about that? Just real quick. Give me your thought. Yeah, well, I'm hoping it's true. I've been married for 41 years now. <laughs> and I yeah. love it. Yeah, and, um, there you go. They they say the experts, you know, they say that the average divorce, that's the average one, removes seven years of life off a person. That's mm-hmm. how stressful and terrible it is. And yeah, it makes you bankrupt, puts you in a huge financial deficit. Yes. And here's what I've learned real quick. I've learned that men determine their value as men, Tom by how they do with their wives and their children. Right. Like they could be great at, they'd be the best alligator hunter on the planet, the biggest CEO guy going, making tons of money. But if they mess up with family, they end up often at the bars and the pubs sitting there drinking because it. that is the most, and I know there's rotten men, but that is the, still the number thing by number one thing by, or by men determined their, how they've done as men. How have I done with my wife and my children? Right. So I want to follow up on that in the next segment because we're closing out. Sam Adams understood that. You know, he understood family and as well as did a lot of our early founders uh, really captured that. And when we come back with Samuel Adams returned, we're going to continue this conversation of where are the men? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Samuel Adams Returns second segment. This is Tom Navolis with uh, Pastor Matt Truella. And we're talking about men. And where are you? Where are we? So hopefully, as we're discussing this, there are some of you out there that attend churches, that that are participating in the public square as well. But what does that mean as a man to participate? Are you standing up in the full faith of Christ and doing it? As we open this segment uh, with uh, a Mr. Blackstone, uh, and uh, what he had to say about who do we give our, who, who are we dependent on? Are we dependent on government? Are you dependent on the voters for those of you that are elected officials? Or are you dependent on the living God for everything that you are? And then how does that affect your manhood? What does that mean? 
And as we closed out the, the last segment, we were talking about the longevity of men and the difference, because having been in the corporate environment, I saw so many that were so focused on their careers that their families were hurt. They, they missed a lot. There were times even I can say in my career, I was so busy and traveling. I mean, there were times I was gone more than I was home. And so how do you affect your family? I'm glad to be out of the corporate world, Matt. I'll tell you that. So, uh, you know, I clearly understand what you were saying. And follow up on that a little bit more, because I think that all the professionals that are out there need to understand how do we value ourselves and how should we in God's eyes uh, look in the mirror and say, I'm a man and, I'm a, and I need to be a man of God. So if you just pick up with that. Sure. Well, work is a huge part of our lives. Um, it's part of our calling as men to work. It's part of God's very created order. And much of um, our being as men is found in our work, but also much of our being as men is found in our familial lives, you know, with our wives and our children. So keeping that balance um, can be interesting at times. You mentioned that you ran into it when you were younger. I did too. I wasn't in the corporate world. I was in the ministry world and I was a ministry aholic. I would always put ministry things before my own wives, my own wife and children. And so I had to get really disciplined by the Lord when I was about 40, 42 years old along that era of time, because he has a way of pruning us. He yes. has a way of um, chastising us. And I went through some very difficult times during that time, and God used it for me to see how out of focus I was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're men, we get our wives, and I always say, well, she'll always be there, you know, until the end, <laughs> and you can take her for granted. And all of a sudden, 20 years has gone by, we got married young, she was 18, I was 21, all of a sudden I'm 41, and I'm like, wow, 20 years has gone by, and host of things took place. And I realized I need to put far more time into my family. Um, family worship was not a thing in our home mm -hmm. up until my uh, oldest child was 14 years old. And um, so I incorporated family worship. I found that massively important to do because God has made men, Tom, to be providers, protectors, and priests. Yes. We're to be priests to our homes. We're to open the word of God to our wife and to our children, discuss the things of the Lord together as a family, have prayer together. And that's a very important aspect of manhood and yes. being a man and showing your children that example that Christ is important to you and Christ being in the home is important to you, as well as in the marketplace, at the church, at the workplace and all those things. Right. But in the home, too. Right. Um, so, you know, when it came to doing this little four minute video, um, you know, I preached that before the pandemic and everything like that. And but what I noticed was when the pandemic happened, of course, people got concerned, at least some did, and they got involved. They realized they no longer had the convenience of being indifferent towards the unjust and immoral actions of their government, that they had to engage these wicked dogs. Right. And what I noticed was the vast majority that were doing it were women. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. 
<laughs> so that's what prompted me. You know, let's just make a little four minute video because I was just listening to this sermon because I had never edited it and put it up on sermon audio. And I was listening to it. I was, wow, I said this right before the pandemic. And look where we're at with manhood right now. And let's make this little video. So that's, yeah. So what was interesting to me in the video, and, and folks, again, uh, you can go to the end and you'll see the that clip. If you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and add that clip in if I can get yeah. it off a of rumble. But, sure. uh, you know, what was what was interesting to me is that at the end of the video, you had all the young guys. Yeah. How, how'd that work? I mean, here's the transition. And, and I got to say one part, I'll, I'll ask the uh, my friend from uh, Wretched TV, uh, you had him in there in a quick clip. And I find him rather confrontational because you were talking about confrontation there. But mm -hmm. uh, what was interesting, though, is at the end, is you had all these young guys. What, mm -hmm. what prompted you to go there as you were uh, finishing out that video? You know, that's interesting that you bring that up because I get asked that all the time. And I give people, how do you get young people involved like that? We got to get young people involved. <laughs> I don't, whether it's an organization, whether it's a church, whether it's Republicans or from what groups or whatever, they all want to know, how do you, how'd you get, and this is what I tell them. The first thing is, is you have children. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there's, there's no secret. You have children. We had 11 children, me and my wife. We have 29 grandchildren now. Oh, and um, so we had six daughters, five sons, and you know they love Christ. They live for Him. So that was your whole family at the end of the video. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just my family, <laughs> exactly. But they all have friends. Yes, they all have peers, um, their age, and they just automatically. I got that involved, and I credit my wife with this from a young time, like we do a lot of ministry on the streets outside the abortion clinics, yeah. um, at universities, um, events, busy intersections. She's, she's like, we're bringing our kids with us. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know how many people are out there? Your head's like kind of swivel trying to keep an eye on your children. <laughs> and you know, they're not all nice people. Right. <laughs> you know, right. All that. And I, I, anyway, she was adamant. We had to do that. And I said, okay, we'll do it. That was brilliant. Because what it did is it gave the smell of battle in the nostrils of my children. Yeah, They saw mom and dad defending the faith, um, proclaiming the faith, being persecuted, being mocked, yeah. um, seeing people break down and cry and give their life to Christ and weep about things that are in their life and being prayed with. They got to see all that. Mm -hmm. And they realized, yeah. This is real Christianity. So we didn't put them in with the puppets and the Muppets and all that kind of stuff. No, we wanted them to come out and see what true real Christianity was. So they have this fire in their soul and other young people see it within them. And so, yeah, everywhere we've done things, there's a huge number of young people and all the older people are like, how do you get so many young people involved? Number one way to do it. This is our program. Have children. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it just happens <laughs> so and raise them right of course <laughs> raise them right so you know that that's really interesting because there's a couple things with that is that because we've seen the fractured families uh when you go to all of the different whether it's republican party even a lot of the church groups or to patriot groups or whatever 
it's all the gray-haired folks and mm -hmm. uh, you know 85 percent of them are angry old gray-haired folks and the the kids don't want the young people don't want to be around that because they're not seeing that example of uh, uh action uh, i had a young man on the program saw a junior in high school a few weeks ago and he volunteered at the uh, Republican booth in his county, and the old, uh, the older folks, and they're more mature, if we will, were telling him pump the brakes. His exuberance in contacting and talking to people about just signing up to vote, mm -hmm. and this guy's in there pump the brakes. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I told the kid I'd feed him a lot of sugar or whatever it took to keep him <laughs> going, but th that becomes the point. We're not setting the example. We're not you know, those that are already beyond uh, having any more kids uh, uh, and we're in that uh, upper age category. You know, we sit there and we look and try and determine, you know, how do you draw folks in? Are we really setting that example? Uh, are right. we setting the example in our families? I uh, came across some information lately about the Puritans and the importance of their wives and, and their families. And what did that mean? Uh, in the extensibility of the gospel. And so yes. that is what continues to get missed in our churches. Uh, people will focus on, uh, they'll, they'll focus on Rutherford for some of the things that he has to say around uh, grace and that, but they don't focus on Rutherford or even go near, uh, what, Lex Rex. So right. you, you sit there and go, well, how does that round out the example? So in yes. bringing in the youth, what would be your, um, to all of those gray hairs that are explaining that are beyond, you know, building their families further, what type of example can they be? What can they do to be those leaders to draw the youth in? Sure. Well, one thing you can do is go to where young people are, you know, the university is a good place. I love going to the university okay. and speaking. You end up in long conversations. And then within your own congregation, your own church, when you see young people, you as an older person, being able to speak into their life, talk to them is extremely important. I've always found that um, good young people want, they understand the wisdom of gaining life experience from an older person. Mm -hmm. And so often we as older people keep it all into ourselves rather than relaying it to the next generation. True. And that needs to take place. One of the things we did at our church was we saw the church getting older with the pastor, that's me. And so we decided we need a younger minister who can also be a part of the church. And so we did that like 15 years ago. Uh -huh. And, um, so when you look at our congregation, it's old people all the way to all these families with little kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there'll be, you know, our church is about 250, 300 people, but you'll have 60, 70 little kids running around right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on a Sunday morning. So anyways, as an older person, you can have an impact on them. Um, and there's a host of other things that you can do sure. too. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that, you know, that's the same as Christ Church up in Idaho is that you Sunday services, you pay attention to the pastor and what he's saying, because uh, there may, may be a kid, uh, you know, poking you in the ribs <laughs> during the <laughs> right. service. So, you know, and that's all good. It's all that that family coming together. And uh, we miss that 
uh, in a lot of congregations. There's even that segregation of families uh, during that time of worship. And uh, I, I think that there's a lot that's missed there. Here, shove the kid off to, you know, go do, the, like you said, go watch the Muppets and Puppets and all of that. And yeah. then are the adults actually gaining something? Uh, why don't you take a next minute to kind of give us a round out here on uh, where you're going with uh, where are the men, and then we'll pick everything up in the, the third segment. So go ahead. Sure. Yeah, to me, it's, um, you know, when I was young, to make it just simple, the man drove the car and the woman sat next to him. And if you saw a woman driving the car, that was odd. And probably the guy just had surgery. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so like, now, the vast majority of men sit and the woman drives the car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're in the they're in the passenger seat and the woman's driving. And, and that's this is all been by design, you know, yeah. to um, flip everything so that women have become men and men have become women. And as long as this insanity continues, we're going to have huge problems in our culture. I mean, look where we're at right now. It's an insane asylum. What you believe actually does have consequences. People are realizing that at this point. Absolutely. You know, all religions aren't the same, you know, and they don't produce the same product. Christianity is a goodness. And there's even authors writing in England now, atheists, secularists, pleading for Christianity to be brought back to the to the public square. Yeah. Because they absolutely. see the goodness that Christianity brings to nations, to right. civilizations. So with and, that, let me uh, yeah. just interject and we'll pick it up. Sam Adams totally understood that. And so did a lot of the anti-federalists and some of the federalists. So come on back for the final segment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this last segment of Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists, for the most part, they got it right. And this is Tom Novolis, your host. And I'm here with, uh, you know, I could call him my friend, is Matt Tuella. It's a delight always to interact with you. And we've been talking about, uh, man, where where are the men? And where are the men uh, when we see them show up in church? we don't always even see them show up in church. I mean, what what I've seen over the years is that, you know, a lot of the women are doing the heavy lifting even in the churches. Uh, Then when we take and we see guys, it's like I had a CEO of one of the companies. I was an executive in the company and my CEO, we went to the same church. But when we went to the office, his testimony wasn't the same as I would expect it to be. Uh, then we see that throughout the political realm. So what are you experiencing and seeing and how do we get the men uh, to live the extensibility of the gospel? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the thing with the church um, we've had a Christianity here in America and throughout the West, which is catered to women for about 150 years now. And there's been much that's been written. Um, So it's translated into other areas of life, the home, Mm -hmm. and also the public realm also regarding civil government matters. And so I wrote this book on the doctrine of lesser magistrate. It's taken off, sold over 100,000 copies. Still, people are talking about it everywhere now. People send me stuff almost every day. They heard somebody talking about a radio show, podcast, TV show. Praise be to God. And um, so I've done 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings, you know, political Christian talking about this doctrine about civil government matters. And um, this is a huge problem. And I've, of course, been to hundreds and hundreds of um, public gatherings regarding civil government matters, um, you know, public hearings and all that kind of thing. Where are the men? You're left standing there because it's overwhelmingly women that are there. And again, as I said in the first segment, this has been done by design. Yes. To push men out to weaken men because we live in a statist hell. They've created this matriarchal hell because they want a statist hell. Because every good statist knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. Yes. And the number one person you want to weaken is the man and take out all his manly virtues that need to come under Christ's domain domain, and push them out of their lives so that they're easily manipulated, so that they give up simply and don't even know how to behave as men anymore. Here's one of the things that I've run into again and again, Tom, is that um, ministers, pastors will tell men in their church, like you were talking about the young guy, he's on fire, yep. wants to just get people to vote. And then they come over and put a big wet blanket over the top of his head. I've seen so many men have that happen to their ministers. They get involved in civil government matters. And the pastor, you know, says, oh, you have no right to be involved in civil government matters till, you know, your life is to this level or to your home is perfect. And um, until our church is just wonderful, you know, and that type of thing. <laughs> There's humans and, there. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't, it ain't gonna, it's humanity, right? <laughs> and, it, and that's exactly my response is that, you know, if if you think that's when you'll finally get involved in civil government, when your life is perfect, your home is in perfect order and your church is wonderfully perfect, you're never going to get involved. in And what I've seen over the years is the exact opposite of this, Tom, where I've seen men get involved in civil government matters and that prompts them to get their life more together to get their home more together to be more involved in church and seeing the church get together and be what christ intended it to be um so i'm huge on civil government involvement with men not only that i've seen so many women who've gotten involved in civil government matters and then they're weeping and they're crying and they're broken down and they're disheartened. Not that that doesn't happen to men too <laughs> in right. the civil government stuff, yeah. but it's more prone clearly amongst women than men. Is men are designed for these things. Yes. Warfare to fight in this way. That's right. Not that mom, you know, like you look at a mother rabbit in the hole, somebody sticks their hand in there, she'll chew it off. <laughs> you know, it's like right. mothers are great at protecting their own, you know, filling the gun, handing it to the, while the Indians are going around out the long cabin, right? <laughs> so all the, but it's extremely important for uh, men to be engaged in these things. I've been preaching through Second Chronicles right now, mm-hmm. just did chapter 19 last Sunday, and it ends with um, the um, Lord saying, behave courageously. Yes. Behave mm-hmm. courageously. Why did he say that? Because when you're looking at chapter 19, Jehoshaphat had just implemented his second round of great reform, where he took evil and wickedness to task. And whenever you take evil or wickedness to task and confront it, wicked people and evil men become unglued. (laughs) And they, some people just wilt in the Mm -hmm. presence of how 
hard it can be. That's why he said behave courageously. Because when you're involved in reform, yeah, you better be close to him. And that, of course, makes the husband and wife be closer together. Yes. Because of the pressure that's put there. Right. All these things are important for people to understand. Yeah. So men need to take the lead in these things. Often when I go to these hearings where there's these filthy books, they're in schools, they're in library, they're filthy. Yeah. I mean, they, if you walk down the street and handed a kid that, you could get arrested and charged with a crime. And here they are sitting on the shelves. You go to those meetings, overwhelmingly, who's there? 80% females, yes. 20% males. The men don't even understand their obligation and duty in the sight of Christ as protectors. Thank you. That was a, a, that was echoing in my mind as you were, you know, speaking that is that's what we're supposed to be designed to be. And we've lost total understanding of what that is. And I, I look at it even from, you know, comparison and just a little distraction from my military days and the fact that, you know, we we raised up uh, guys to be warriors when in my military days. But now, you know, it's all about going and being educated and all these other types of things that, again, there's a breakdown of what is manhood. What does it mean to be that warrior, that protector, that person that will stand in the gap, you know, be on the wall building and, and weaponry in the other hand? That, that's it's no, it's hard to find. And, you know, I got to say, bless the Lord that you're there as well as, you know, several of my other friend pastors and, and those that I know that are there that are bringing this message back into their congregations. And, you know, my great prayer has been that the churches reform into these truths, into understanding that, and there's a lot of pastors that won't even preach from the Old Testament because it calls them into account. So that that becomes uh, a key element, and uh, that uh, that line of moving forward. Yes. What with with that and taking that on, how is it that you're able to affect others in ministry to wake up to? I don't know. We could call it a new reformation if you want, whatever the term might be, but. What what's your where are you at with that? What are you seeing? Sure. Well, one quick thing on the military thing you brought out about a year and a half ago, two years ago. You know, when you get older, you can't remember much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago. I don't know. And we did a little video where we showed a recruitment video from America for the military, and we juxtaposed it with a military recruitment video from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> and when you. When you saw what they're saying to American young people, like you just said, it was all about homosex. Yeah. The entire recruitment thing was about, it was an indoctrination in homosex. And we had one of our sons going to the military about four years ago. And he told us what they're teaching in there. And, you know, this is the right when you get there, they want you totally um, yep. orientated towards being good with filth, being good with perversion. Um, so it's crazy, but yeah, the way I, I view, um, the pulpit is massively important for instilling manhood in men, just preaching good. And here's one of the things I get from people from my sermons, uh, Tom, what they love about my sermons is I'm an expositional preacher. I go through verse by verse, but I don't just keep it academic. Mm -hmm. Um, I make application. 
<laughs> and that's what they love. <laughs> they, this, the word of God applied to everyday life, to real life in mm-hmm. all areas of life, because God's word speaks to all areas of life. Right. So I view the pulpit, number one, is massively important. Number two, I view living, being a living example of what God, and like, I come from a broken home. My dad left on Christmas Eve when I was 11 years old. Wow. And people used to tell me that's terrible and thought, you know, I put me at a great disadvantage, some would say, and all this kind of thing. And I really didn't realize how much negative impact that has on you till I became a father and I had my own children and I understood, yeah, I really was at a disadvantage. But what built manhood within me was other good men talking about um, what it is to be a Christian man from the word of God and from life and experience and all that kind of thing. And, um, and then God just building it within my life. Um, so I view being an example to younger men mm-hmm. as extremely important. Also, you see pitfalls as you get older that you had as a younger man or you saw in other men. Yeah. And so you're able to be a benefit to them to at least um, speak to those things regarding um, problems they may be having within their own life or within their marriage or family. Yeah. yeah, we see that, you know, even, well, haven't seen it lately because of the way things have gone across the culture, but it used to be you know, the Boy Scouts was about, you know, helping to raise men. Uh, it, sports was about helping to raise men. And now, you know, we can't even, you, you had just, what was that up in Vermont, uh, a Christian school giving, you know, just saying they walked away from a championship game because they had some transgender, this other school had a transgender taking in uh, playing for them. And rightfully so, the Christian school says, hey, it's for the safety of our girls. Yeah. You know, they they stated it appropriately and uh said hey it's a safety for it's a safety issue for our girls absolutely so when we take and we look at those things which would help build that character help be uh that facilitator of passing knowledge and understanding uh, man we're so far as you said we're so far out of whack absolutely and, and what men have to understand too is when it comes to their familial lives all of the culture, all of the government, all of the media, and many pulpits too are against you. Right. You have to dig in. You have to put in the extra effort, the perseverance, the sacrifice of time, not live like your average American married male or your average American single male by any means, but the time and effort into your home, um, your marriage, your sons, your daughters, that is massively important to do yes you have to do it because no one else is going to do it for you all the support systems that are supposed to help you the culture at large the government not there media they're not there in fact they're doing the exact opposite they want to help finish your marriage and family off right so take one minute here to talk to the the young men out there because we we spoke about that in the second segment is that you know they don't want to get married say something to them because they need to hear this as well Yes. Yeah. Marriage is a good thing. (laughs) Um, One of the reasons a lot of men aren't getting married is because of the fornication rate, even amongst married people. I mean, pardon me, even amongst Christian people. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, we have um, a huge problem with um, males being involved in pornography, 
Mm -hmm. um, and then um, self-gratification uh, while they're doing pornography. And so they don't understand um, how to have a relationship with another woman. Many of them come from broken homes themselves or from homes where fathers weren't really being what they should be within yeah. the home. Right. So that's one of the reasons we see a lack of a marriage. Another is the financial realm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they keep you incessantly in school. 15 seconds, Matt. Oh, yeah, 15 seconds. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll cut this short. <laughs> Get married. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Look Amen. for a woman and commit to her. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the young guys, those are all key elements that uh, take and find God's truth and live on it, experience it. Uh, and, you know, Sam Adams knew how to live that way. He experienced it. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back, Matt, at sometime in the near future. See you Thank soon. You.